Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 317, entitled Catch-22. This is the 66th hour of the series, and there are 55 to go. You know, before we uh, jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for the episode, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, yesterday was the, uh, the date of two years since the finale. Uh, coincidentally, or not, I suppose, perhaps it's fate, perhaps it's uh, coincidence, but uh, that makes today the two-year anniversary since I saw the finale. Yes, I know I'm an awful person. I, I didn't watch it live. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had watched it uh, with, uh, with family uh, here in my home. And uh, it's just, uh, it really is something to think the two years have gone by. At, at first, uh, you know, when, when the date was being mentioned on Twitter, as people were mentioning it yesterday, um, you know, I kind of found myself uh, almost saying, wow, I can't believe it's been two years. The time certainly has gone by. Um, and, uh, I kind of wondered why I didn't feel like I was missing Lost, uh, more. I guess the answer is this podcast, and, uh, I hope for, for you listeners, it's also, uh, a way to kind of still stay connected with the show, uh, as we, uh, as we reflect together. Um, I mean, indeed, you know, the finale was in May. I started to really, um... Let's see, uh, Lost came on Netflix, I want to say it was early December of that uh, of that year, 2010, and uh, I remember watching a whole bunch of episodes and all of a sudden saying, wait a minute, this should be what I want to do a podcast on, this is, this is the show, here's my opportunity to look back, so I did, here we are, 66 uh, plus episodes later, um... But uh, it's just kind of amazing to think, you know, why why didn't I find myself missing Lost? I guess the answer is it's never really gone away from me. Sure, new episodes have ended, uh, but uh, you know the 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 skip from May to uh, to rewatching uh, for fun or rewatching for for the podcast, uh, December twenty ten or January twenty eleven, respectively. Uh, I mean that was that was uh, certainly shorter than some of the uh, breaks between seasons three to four, four to five, five to six, uh, when the show was coming back in, in January or February. So uh, it's I guess it's kind of on that note. We'll we'll start to move forward. That uh, you know there's been the same amount of lost in my life since uh, September two thousand four, which is kind of a very pleasant thought indeed. Uh, Luckily, there are these 55 episodes to go. I'll probably also do a uh, do uh, a moment, or do an episode, rather, where uh, 
all the uh, the missing piece webisodes uh, are are reviewed. I'll probably probably do that this summer, between seasons three and four. Uh, but uh, just just want to take that moment to reflect back that here we are, uh, a little over two years since the finale, and uh, hopefully you're still digging Lost uh, as much as I am. So, with that, let's jump into Catch Twenty Two, shall we? Uh, in flashbacks, uh, flashbacks show Desmond ending his test period of silence after joining a monastery. He is greeted by Brother Campbell, who welcomes him to the Abbey. The two quickly get along, and one day they are applying labels for wine bottles. As they're talking, a monk enters and informs Desmond of a visitor. A man then enters and punches Desmond before leaving. Desmond decides to visit an old flame, no pun intended, I'm sure, whom he was supposed to marry after six years of dating, but jilted her a week before the wedding to become a monk. Derek, the man who assaulted him, answers the door but is quickly interrupted by Ruth, Desmond's old love. She invites him in, where he explains he was called to join the monastery. However, Ruth accuses him of being scared and accuses him of not having the decency to come clean when breaking up with a woman. Later that night, Desmond gets drunk on the wine he helped label, Brother Campbell catches him and informs him that he is not cut out for the monastery. However, the next day, he asks Desmond to help load the crates of wine into a car for a customer. As Desmond is talking to Brother Campbell, the scene shows a picture on his desk of Brother Campbell and Eloise Hawking. As Desmond wheels the the wine out, he meets the customer, Penny Widmore, who offers to take him with her. On the island, the episode starts off with Desmond, Hurley, Jin, and Charlie walking through the jungle, talking about superheroes, when Charlie suddenly springs one of Rousseau's traps and is shot in the throat by an arrow. Desmond tries to give him aid, but he dies. We then see a string of flashes, Hurley lifting a cable, a red light dropping from the sky, Jin holding a parachute, and a person stuck in a tree. The view then returns to Desmond fishing on the beach, revealing that it was all one of his visions. He looks over to see that Charlie is alive and well. Desmond approaches Hurley and asks him to take him to the cable. Eventually, Desmond coaxes him into telling him more about the cable and asks him to go with him on a hike to visit Jack to pick up a first aid kit. Jack is skeptical at first, but hands it over. Desmond ultimately explains to Hurley that he experienced more visions, but they weren't shown in order, so everything needs to happen exactly as it appeared. Meanwhile, Kate is approached by Sawyer in her tent while she is changing, and he asks her if Jack knows about their fling while in captivity. She explains that Jack saw them being intimate through surveillance monitors. Sawyer tries flirting with her, but Kate playfully shrugs him off. Desmond gets Hurley to speak with Jin, who comes along after being told about a camping trip. Desmond then approaches Charlie with the same story. Charlie questions this and questions him about his visions. Desmond gives in and explains, but only a limited amount to convince Charlie to come along. They then walk up to the point where Hurley discovered the cable. Desmond suggests that they camp there until morning, causing Charlie to become wary. Four of them agree enjoy a ghost story told by Jin in Korean. Charlie notices Desmond looking at the photo of him and Penny. Their conversation is interrupted by the sound of an approaching helicopter. However, the helicopter does not sound right, and they hear it crash in the ocean. Yet, they spot a beacon flashing in the sky, landing somewhere in the jungle. 
Charlie suggests that they wait until morning, and reluctantly, Desmond agrees. Back at camp, Kate and Jack have a talk in the kitchen and reminisce about days on the island. Jack ends the conversation to go visit with Juliet in her tent. Kate becomes upset and goes to Sawyer's tent and seduces him. Next morning, Desmond, Charlie, Jin, and Hurley venture off into the jungle. They find a rucksack wedged in a tree. In it, they find a satellite phone, which does not work. A book titled Ardil 22, the Portuguese translation of Catch 22. Inside the book, Desmond finds a perfect copy of the photograph with him and Penny, causing him and Charlie to suspect that Penny is the person who parachuted on the island. Continuing in the jungle, the four start to pick up their pace. Hurley and Charlie discuss who is faster, Superman or the Flash, as seen in Desmond's vision. Although Charlie is about to be hit by the arrow, Desmond pushes him to the ground, saving his life. Ultimately, the group discovers the beacon and parachutist hanging motionless from the trees. Desmond climbs the trees and cuts the parachute off, so Jin, Charlie, and Hurley can use it as a safety net for when Desmond cuts the pilot free. Convinced that he will be reunited with Penny, Desmond quickly removes the helmet, only to discover that she is a different woman. As the episode concludes, she mutters Desmond's name. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. This this certainly is a uh, it's an interesting episode. I think uh, overall it works nicely. It does feel it's not quite filler, but it does feel like it's the setup for uh, many many strings that will be pursued this season, which certainly is true. The appearance of Naomi. The uh, oh the the foreshadowing, if you like to call it that, of the uh, the freighter people, the people on the you know on the freighter, um, uh, Charlie's death, of course, uh, reconnection of Desmond and and Penny, uh, at least as a storyline, uh, Penny appearing, not Penny's boat, all these things. Um, there's also, as I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to be mentioning quite a bit, there's tons of exposition in this episode. Tons of things where they're really spelling it out for you, at times to a tedious degree, at times not quite. But anyhow, let's jump in properly, shall we? Uh, there's a, a scrumptious recap of Desmond's forecasts. Uh, this is in the previously unlost bit, uh, as well as his prognostication that Charlie will die. It kind of goes on a tad too long. I mean, are there really people who need every last bit of this recap? But, oh well. Uh, the episode proper opens with Desmond and Hurley and Charlie and Jin on a mission. They're considerately introduced one at a time, kind of walking one in, one after the other in a row towards the camera. Uh, there's an amusing side conversation about Superman versus the Flash. Uh... It just feels like a normal sort of pop culture conversation that uh, that the show would have. Um, there's nice pacing to it, uh, as it then turns to Charlie hitting one of Rousseau's traps and getting a rather unbelievable arrow to the throat. He dies quickly, and we don't really buy it. it there's something slightly unconvincing about it, if only for the reason that you really tend not to kill off your leads in the in, in the teaser act of a of an hour-long drama. With that, there's some flish flash floosh, and we see it's Desmond's time-peaking flash, uh, along with some footage of tonight's episode, Intercut, uh, 
in kind of for the foreshadowing effect. It ends with an echo of Charlie talking about Superman flying around the world. This, of course, is a reference to uh, Superman the motion picture or Superman the movie, whatever whatever it's called, uh, where uh, Superman, you know, flies backwards around the world to change its rotation to turn back time, uh, essentially kind of skipping through time in a sense similar to how Desmond is doing it uh, with all these flashes. The teaser act concludes with Desmond uh, asking Hurley about the wire in the sand that he found way back in season one. Why? Because someone is coming. The title card, then we start with Monastic Desmond. The scene is initially quite quiet. Then the quiet monk, uh, who I believe is Brother Campbell, isn't that how the episode referred to him as? Um, Brother Campbell, indeed. Who, if he he certainly is not mentioned much by name in the episode, hence my notes referring to him as the other brother. Uh, anyhow, Brother Campbell explains uh, that uh, the vows of silence can end. Uh, that little speech ends with Desmond having stuck to his vow of silence for at least more than a few months, and this impresses Brother Campbell. Uh, there's a cute repeat of uh, little having been expected of him. Like Widmore, now that he's, uh, quote, one of us, quote, close quote, hey, they've said that about the others. And then now uh, how he's literally a brother, brother, at least, you know, in the monastic sense. Uh, The flashback ends and Hurley and Desmond get the medical kit from Jack. They leave Jack and then give plenty of exposition about what's going on. It's the sequence of events that Desmond has seen. It's a jigsaw puzzle from the future. The first piece is the cable being pulled out from the sand, and the other pieces are not going to be told to Hurley. But, in an interesting narrative choice, we've already seen them. Flashing light in the sky, parachute, and Charlie's death. There certainly is a a play-along-at-home component to, to this episode, I would say, where you're trying to put the pieces together. And, and at times when the pieces don't fit, as we'll discuss, it um, it's kind of a situation where, ooh, has there been a little change in the timeline? The timeline, of course, that we should uh, remember is uh, uh, essentially, you know, it, it's not kind of this parallel timeline, um, you know, within the universe of the show. Eloise Hawking has made it clear that when there's a change, that's it. If fate's going to get you, it's supposed to get you. And these little changes here or there about when you're going to die aren't uh, aren't a consequence compared to the fact that you will die. Anyhow, at this point, this discussion here uh, between Hurley and Desmond, it's it, this dialogue is intercut kind of oddly but effectively with Desmond talking to Penny, uh, or at least being with Penny. And I'm not quite sure why it's there. Hurley does ask if Desmond is trying to prevent the future he's seen from being changed, and Desmond says yes. At this point, at this early point, has he put two and two together that the visitor may help them get off the island, that that the visitor may return him to Penny? Does he have some sort of inkling? Uh, Of course, it's a wrong inkling, but does he have some sort of inkling that it is uh, Penny who has parachuted? I suppose that's an option as well. It's... Truth be told, I think it's a bit of an an attempt for the show 
to tell us penny is coming penny is coming to plant that seed when it's not something that they really hammer home at other points in the episode certainly not in the first half uh, however, I think that we are meant to feel that greatly. Perhaps they went back and added that in because it was not entirely clear that Desmond thinks it's Penny from the onset. Anyhow, the story moves on, as as we shall, with Sawyer going a courtin' to Kate's tent, down to seeing her in yummy bra and, uh, you know, stringed panties. Um... We, you know, we tend to take Sawyer's side on things, um, though he is actually there to start a relationship with, with Kate. It kind of comes out as afternoon delight lust, uh, which I think is an important point, how, how easily the actor and how easily we as viewers are able to see he's there for sweet reasons. But the minute he has to put that wall up, it's just kind of, you know, he's talking about afternoon delight. Nonetheless, she rebuffs him, and I think we do feel a bit bad for him, you know, after all, in this sense, he's just the boy who can't talk good to girls. With that, we cut to Hurley and Desmond eyeing Jin, as they need him to come with them, because that's the way it was in the puzzle flash. How do we know this? Because they spell it out nice and cleanly. It's really, at this point, starting to feel like one of those episodes where we, the dumb audience, have things spelled out uh, to us, A, B, C, and 1, 2, 3. Charlie also gets picked for the group. Duh. Desmond, uh, and Charlie calls Desmond out on predictions of the future. Desmond spins it as someone is coming to the island. True. And no one will get hurt. Not exactly true, as we re-see Charlie's arrow to the throat. At this point, I think Desmond is starting to feel a little sinister, which, of course, is an interesting uh, interesting interplay between him and his monastic version of himself. Now, it's not a terribly... I mean, look, this is not a great episode. This is a plot-driven episode. It's not a character-driven episode. Uh, and I don't think they really do a good job of showing us convincing monastic Desmond uh, kind of in contrast to who is this guy who will let Charlie die, who will kill for love, who will kill a man for love because that's the way fate with a capital F has has declared it. Anyhow, the four refind the cable in the jungle. It's a handy reminder that it also, in addition to going into the jungle, that it goes out somewhere to something. Of course, it's that underwater station, a place that we will visit before the season is over to disastrous consequences for Charlie. Now, eagle-eyed viewers might notice that Desmond flashes Hurley picking it out of the sand. Here, however, Jin pulls it out of the sand. The beginning of some small changes. How small, we might ask Desmond, how small can the changes be and still preserve the, the big outcome of him meeting up with the the parachutess, as I call her, who at this point he he increasingly, I think it's safe to say, increasingly assumes to be Penelope. Anyhow, on the way to flat to the back to the flashback story, Charlie first reframes tonight's mystery: Who is that? Someone that's coming. Now, in the in the flashback story, again, uh, it's kind of a rather pedantic storyline. 
Brother Desmond is helping label wine, which leads to a discussion about whether God should test us. It's it's a bit heavy-handed. It's a bit on the nose. Um, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, we get it. Desmond is tested. The, all these people have been tested. What's the role of God in it all? Um, and they don't particularly develop it because at this point, the lout who comes to visit Desmond shows up, promptly punches him. And I think the dramatic function of that is just a mystery-making device for the flashback story. I don't really see the purpose of us understanding... You know, do we understand Desmond better? Because we find out that he dated a woman, Ruth, for six years and then uh, called off the wedding, and then became a monk, and then at the end of his time being a monk, um, just, uh, you know, met Penny, and from there, magic was had. You know, it just seems a bit... It's not a great flashback story, that's what it is. It just seems a bit soft, because it's not great. Eh, That's okay. That's okay. I don't think it's some function of the show trying to pad itself out. Um... Although, let's not forget, we're, we're quickly uh, uh, losing count of the number of flashbacks that we actually have left, and we'll be dealing with flash-forwards quite, quite soon. What, four or five episodes? Something like that. Anyhow, we come out of the flashback to Jack and Kate talking in the kitchen, uh, which quickly uh, leads to Kate licking Jack's spoon. Not a metaphor though she does talk of doing dishes in the ocean. Now, does she know that Jack likes his women domestic, especially in the kitchen, washing those dishes? Um, Either way, her lust doesn't uh, kind of get picked up on by Jack. He takes the spoon, uh, as well as his other little bits, for snack time with Juliet. Kate, at this point, is jilted, uh, and she goes to take Sawyer up on his offer for afternoon delight though it's now set in the evening. Now, I would ask you this, listeners. Is it fair to hate Kate here? Um, She can't have one, so she's going to go have the other. That's essentially what's going on. Um, I, I think it's fair to dislike her here. I mean, you know, pick somebody and go for it and hope it works out. And if the other person has moved on, then go for your number two choice. Or say, well, I'm not going to settle for second best and move on. But... Anyhow, their little bit of uh, canoodling wraps up with a rather interesting moment for network TV. If you'll pardon the the recap here, Kate's hand goes down Sawyer's chest under her thighs. She's, of course, kind of sitting on him and past his belt line. At this point, the camera goes back up to Sawyer's face, but the notion is clear. Kate's got her hand full. Anyhow, we cut to the fearsome foursome camping. And there's definitely an amusing scene where Jin tells a scary story with a flashlight in his face. Though it's in Korean, the climax nonetheless scares Hurley. Now at this point, off to the side, there's exposition between uh, Desmond and Charlie. This time it's a bit less heavy-handed. Des explains his love for Penny, how he hopes she's been searching these past three years. It's sweet, but it's also a bit ominous. How far will he let things go to happen? How far? How dedicated is he to preserving these puzzle pieces uh, with the hope that the, the, the end result, the parachute S, will uh, successfully land and be, uh, be 
united with him. Or I suppose he hopes we're reunited. Now at this point, we unfortunately cannot think about it too long. Uh, is that how a helicopter's supposed to sound? No. We gotta go out there. Out there? Well, yeah. In what? We gotta do something. Look. Look! At this point, we see the flashing, dropping red light that was foreshadowed for us. Now, for the intelligent among us, we can predict that it was the ejecting pilot. Uh, this scene takes us to the end of the act. After the act oh break, it's heavy-handed exposition all around. They talk about ejecting versus jumping from a helicopter. Just so that we're really clear that there's a person out there who, you know, exited the helicopter. It's, <laughs> it's, it's heavy-handed. Uh, at this point, Dez presses the issue of going to get, quote, her, close quote. The first time he's revealed she's a she. That's the first true inkling that he knows more than we've seen in the flashes before our eyes. Charlie digs in his heels about not going there at night, and we kind of sense that Charlie is perhaps becoming suspicious of it all. It's a nice little moment. Uh, Des acquiesces, and we flash back to Desmond at the house of the man who punched him. It turns out that he jilted a prospective bride, and despite the fact that they dated for six years, I think we as viewers feel a little unsure about how much we should care about her. Uh, luckily, his monologue makes up for it, and then some. Yes, I was scared about the wedding. So I had a few pains, too many maybe. I, I raised my eyes, and I asked, am I doing the right thing? And that's the last thing I remember. And when I woke up, I was lying on my back in the street, and I don't know how I got there. And... There was this man standing over me, Ruth. And he reached out his hand and he said to me, Can I help you, brother? And the first thing I noticed was the rope tied around his waist. And I looked at him and I knew, I knew I was supposed to go with him. I was supposed to leave everything that mattered behind sacrifice all of it for a greater calling it it's so great that the show really gives uh actors the opportunity to have monologues to really carry i mean in a sense the entire series for a good chunk of time to not be necessarily relying on uh you know fancy camera moves action mystery that it's just an opportunity for the characters to to speak to us um, also, too, I think uh, Desmond's story is reminiscent of the story of Christ recruiting those fishers of men, as well as, uh, of course, reminding us of this sense of fate. Uh, the flashback ends, and there's a brief scene of Jack and Juliet, down to some spot-on Sawyer dialogue about them discussing who their favorite other is. Uh, it leads to a pleasant scene of Sawyer and Jack playing ping-pong as old chums, uh, but ultimately, it becomes about Sawyer putting the Kate pieces together. Of Kate's, you know, seeing Jack, the anger, going to visit Sawyer. It's it's a simple, fun scene. It's a nice B story to kind of keep our 
our principles going in the story. Uh, the story moves to the Jungle 4, with Desmond testily reminding Charlie that Desmond is to be trusted on account of having saved his life not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, they come across a bag, complete with uh, Catch-22 in it, a mysteriously unworking satellite phone. Gee, I think they'll be pursuing you know, some action with that phone. Uh, and a brandy new copy of the Desmond Penny picture. It's a shocking way to end the act. Or at least shocking enough because they end the act with it. After the break, Sawyer kindly gives Kate a faux mixtape and then puts the pieces together to her. She slept with him out of Jack angst. The capper of the scene is Sawyer's line that she didn't need to use him. She could just ask. It's delivered with a sad smile on Sawyer's face and kind of a reminder that, that in many ways he undervalues himself. With that, we return to the jungle group with more exposition about Desmond being sure it's Penny who's fallen from heaven. Uh, with that, we flash back to Desmond getting drunk on the monastic wine, of which, hardy har har, there were only 108 bottles this year. This, and what I would presume are other ills, uh, gets him kicked out of the monastery, although his uh, fellow brother, Brother Campbell, predicts that God has bigger plans for him than for being the son of a carpenter or a winemaking monk or whatever it's supposed to be. Obviously, the, the former is a bit of a nod to my, uh, my theory about Desmond, and the latter is a bit closer to the truth of the episode. So what should Desmond do? Whatever comes next, he's told. And as we'll see, it ends up being rather literal. With that, we cut to the jungle crew, where Desmond tells Hurley to hurry up. Uh, he's told uh, that he isn't, or he responds that he isn't the Flash, which now takes us back to the start of the episode, the Flash-Superman debate. Desmond eyes the arrow as well, and there's clearly a moment where he has to debate it. You can see him debating it. Uh, is it Charlie's fate to die here? Is Well, is what's being debated. Desmond makes his decision, and not too late, See what I did there? Fate, late, Charlie, huh? Uh, anyhow, Desmond makes his decision, pushes Charlie out of the way just in time for the arrow to hit Charlie's guitar. Indeed, the neck of Charlie's guitar. Crisis averted, the act ends. At this point, a quick look at the clock would tell us that there isn't going to be much of a resolution in this episode. Oddly, the, the main conflict of Charlie's death has kind of already been taken care of. Um, I think there's about six minutes left to the episode at, at this point as we head into the, the final act. Um, so I'm just pointing it out as kind of some strange construction to the episode that, you know, that um, well, that conflict that drives the episode has now ended. We saw Charlie die 45 seconds into the episode, now we know that's not going to happen. So it's kind of skating on its own inertia at this point, at least from a kind of a construction sense. I don't think that we really sense that, because now there's the new mystery of the woman. It's just, again, I just mention it because that's not usually how how it's done. Anyhow, uh, before things get, uh, oh, pardon me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The group splits up, with Hurley and Jin going one way round the hill. And uh, 
That gives an opportunity for Desmond and Charlie to go the other way around the hill so that uh, Charlie can talk about how Charlie will die. And Desmond mentions that. This is all how, you know, about how it's inevitable. Tempers start to rise. But before things can get testy, Jin shouts, they found the parachutess. Uh, she's hanging from the tree, unmoving. Desmond says he's sorry to Penny, really making it clear he believes it's Penny and not Naomi. Uh, and we flash back to outward bound Desmond, saying one last goodbye to his former brother, Brother Campbell. Uh, as he places his monk robes on the desk, there's a split second shot of a photo not, uh, uh, pardon me, of a, of a photo on the desk. The brother with <gasps> Eloise Hawking. Or at least the two of them kind of badly photoshopped together. Um, Desmond has talked into staying a little bit more. Well, let me, let's me let stick with the picture for just one moment. I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to think. I think we're supposed to say, ooh, it's an Easter egg that leads to larger things. It's Desmond's destiny. Uh, to my knowledge, it's not something that they ever uh, really pursue. I suppose it's just one of those cute little moments, but um, it's also just, I mean, look, I know it goes by quickly. The flip side is we're meant to go back and hit pause, and it's not, it really is a poorly photoshopped picture. Anyhow, Desmond is talking to staying a little longer in order to load up the wine. With that, we're outside where <gasps> there's an unseen blonde woman talking. It's almost like this is a prelude to the Desmond Penny story. They end up having their first meeting with the inauspicious dialogue of Penny saying, I think we can fit it all in the back, and if not, then we can put it in the front. Just throwing that out there for whatever it's worth. Then at that point, Giacchino starts to play the scene, and we return to the parachutess, who Desmond presumes to be the possibly dead Penny. Uh, and then we're back in the flashback uh, with uh, them carrying on their first meeting. How do you know so much about monks? Because I'm an ex-monk. Really? As of last night, I was fired. <laughs> oh, wasn't that funny? I'm sorry, I never, I, I didn't know monks could be fired. Oh, they can. You know, I was told on a non-certain terms that the Abbey wasn't where I was meant to end up. Just a step along a path. You know, God allegedly has bigger plans for me. Something tells me you don't entirely believe that. I suspect that's because I don't. Well, maybe they're right. I mean, just think, if you hadn't got fired, we wouldn't have met. And then, how could you possibly help me unload these crates in Carlisle? <laughs> Did I say I was coming to Carlisle with you? Not yet. If an ex-monk already has plans, then... You know, I don't usually get in the cars with strangers. Well, in that case, I'm Penelope. Penny. Desmond. Very nice to be you, Penny. <laughs> She's alive! Stand back! Get away from her! I'm here. 
I'm here, Penny. Careful. Just get off, Charlie. Sorry, Penny. Sorry. And of course, it's not Penny. It's the woman that we'll come to know as Naomi. And uh, there's this bit here. So we're now left with uh, the zinger here. Uh, uh, the mystery of it all. It not being a fantastic episode, I'm not quite sure how we're meant to kind of really... Yeah, I don't think that it's a zinger that knocks our socks off. And we go, oh my goodness, it's not Penny. It's some, you know, darker skinned brunette. Um, you know, again, it's not a great episode. Thus, the weight of the the ending isn't fantastic. Um, that said, I think we're all sitting at home saying, you know, on first viewing, we know where this, or even on repeat viewing, we know where this episode fits into the, uh, you know, into the season. We know that there's about five episodes left, four or five episodes left. And we're kind of, you know, it's like, great, get the pieces in place. Uh, get it, get it set up. You know, it's kind of that the last turn before the, the gallop to the finish line. What I'd like to focus on more from that clip, though, is just the chemistry that those two have. Whether you want to call it the the breathtaking connection that the actors have, the the terribly sweet connection that the characters have, it's just so wonderful. It's 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 precious time that they have together, precious little time that they have together. But it just works. Uh, they they're able to sell it. They're able to sell it quickly. Uh, it just really is just some fantastic stuff between the two of them. Um, I think it warranted. Kind of playing playing the whole scene out there. Um, there's a playfulness to Penny. Desmond kind of almost has this solipsistic uh, uh, admittance that he's not sure where he's headed in life. He's kind of reached rock bottom in a certain sense. And, you know, as soon as his other distractions are, are, are done, you know, the, the worries of, uh, you know, kind of having made peace with Ruth, his former fiance, having having left the, the the calling of the Lord at the monastery, with a clear mind, now fate is ready to deliver his his great love. And let's not forget, you know, this is a, a through line. It's Desmond that, um, you know, it's Desmond that that uh, because of his connection to the island, uh, you know, all these characters' uh, lives are changed so profoundly. And then, of course, in the in the flash sideways. Um, just, uh, again, not a great episode, but great, great, you know, Desmond and, and Penny. I was going to say scenes, but it's actually just, just the one scene. So, with that, let's move on to Lostpedia to see what little bits and pieces I've missed. There's actually a good bunch here. Uh, they mention, and this is perhaps cute, if nothing else, but Desmond and Penny speak of Carlisle, a city in northwest England near the Scot- Scottish border. The homophone Carlisle, spelled differently, is, of course, Boone's surname. The city is C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E, and then Boone's surname is C-A-R-L-Y-L-E. So kind of a cute little moment there. Uh, They mention also, I I, I think this is an extremely legitimate quasi-error that you can sweep away because it's time weirdness, but Desmond's flash shows Charlie getting shot with the arrow, but later shows Charlie holding the parachute in the flash. Yeah. Um, 
legit thing to point out. You all, again, you can just slice it a ton of different ways. Maybe Charlie gets shot, you know, uh, uh, after they find the parachute, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, Lostpedia also has the uh, the translation for Jin's uh, ghost story, which translates as this. And the girl turned to the man who saved her and said, Thank God, I was afraid you were the hook man. And the man looked at the little girl with a smile and said, Don't worry, little girl, my hook is still in your father's head. So, cute little cute little story there. Uh, they also say the Flash may be a reference to Desmond's Flash, thus turning the race between the Flash and Superman, who went back in time to save Lois Lane in, in the movie, uh, as a metaphor for fate versus free will. Uh, they also mention, I think very inter- interestingly, this is this was the first episode available for download on iTunes in a widescreen format. It's astonishing to think that uh, it was difficult to watch this show in widescreen if you didn't have a widescreen TV back at the time. I, mean, I suppose you could be getting it on DVD as well, but uh, but it's it's just interesting how during the course of the show uh, how how we uh, expect TV to be delivered to us changed, whether it's through these digital formats, whether it's in HD, widescreen, etc. They also mentioned uh, that the vintage of wine bottles and Ruth's mention of Celtic winning the cup date this flashback to 1995 or later, where he meets Desmond, that is, first meets Penny. His later flashback, where he breaks up with Penny, takes place in 1996. Normally, wine is dated based on the date of the grape harvest, and Cabernet Sauvignon is usually aged in barrels for years before being released, so the date in the bottle is likely a production error meant to show the date of the flashback, and not a realistic vintage date. Furthermore, says Lostpedia, the flashback should have taken place in 1994, because in Flash's Pour Your Eyes, a conversation that occurred in 1996, Desmond says to Mr. Widmore that he and Penelope have been together for two years. So, excessive? Eh. Certainly it's not any information that, uh, that you know, that, that wasn't to be had as it was in the, uh, you know, available to the producers and whatnot. They also mention, it in what I think is a rather cheeky uh, bit of trivia here, Ruth's Scottish accent is obviously fake. The actor is from Bristol. So, eh. My, my... My ears did not pick up a problem with her accent. Anyhow, they go on to say, although Desmond tackles Charlie onto his back while saving him uh, from the arrow, his guitar is totally unharmed. Then someone, I suppose, has then added to that to say, but Charlie's guitar is an ovation. The bowl is made of lycra cord, which ovation claims is indestructible. We later see the neck covered uh, in mud and the arrowhead sticking out in front of the fretboard while Charlie is walking. The rain would have ruined it, but Charlie had never had a chance to play it again anyway. Dun-dun-dun. Now that ominous note, let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 318, DOC, as we indeed make our way toward the, uh, the conclusion of the season in about a month's time, four or five weeks' time, for us on the podcast, that is and uh, also that, that death of Charlie, and also the, the end of flashbacks. Uh, if you'd like to share feedback, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. Call the listener line, 732-707-1815. You 
send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com or leave a comment on the webpage lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So thank you everyone for listening. It was, uh, though it's not a fantastic episode, it certainly was a fun episode. And it also, of course, was fun reflecting on on uh, the uh, this two-year anniversary since the season, uh, since the series has ended. So with that, the show might be over. Podcast shall go on. Talk to you all again next week for 318 DOC. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>